Amen. Let's worship him this morning. Amen. Amen. Come on, put your hands together this morning. Father, we just invite your presence in this room online, oh God. We're just so thankful for what you're doing in our hearts, what you're doing in our church, oh God. Lord, we pray that you come and open up the heavens on us, oh God. We worship you. Come on, let's sing it together. We wait for the stay. We're gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire will burn our hearts with truth. You're the reason, you're the reason we're here. You're the reason we're saved. We're singing, open up the heavens. We want to see you open up the floodgates. A mighty river flowing from your heart, feeling every part of our prayer.
that's your prayer this morning. Every hand lifted in this room. Come on, let's just invite his presence. Sing it. Show us, show us your glory. Show us, show us your power. Show us, show us your glory, Lord. Yeah. Open up the heavens, we sing. Open up the heavens. We want to see you open up the floodgates of my river, flowing from your heart, feeling every part of my prayer. Come on, just magnify his name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. How many believe that we serve a great God this morning? Amen.
out of darkness and into glorious light. Thankful for salvation this morning. Thankful for the cross and the load that you carried and the burdens that you took. Thankful for life. Sin weighed upon your 
So oh. 
this morning. Amen. Come on. How many believe there is victory and praise this morning? Lord, I'm so thankful for your presence, oh God. Lord, I'm thankful that when I call your name, Lord, that you are in tune with me. Lord, I'm so thankful for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. Lord, I pray we open our ears to hear this morning. Open our minds to understand. Lord, may we open our hearts to receive your word. We love you. We love you. Do you love him? Come on, somebody just tell him. Lord, we love you this morning. Come on, just lavish your praise upon him right now. Yes, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Amen. And everyone said, amen. Give one next to you an air high five. Amen. It's great to be in God's house.
Well, good morning. So glad to see you here. Hope you're glad to be here. Are you glad to be here? That was a little weak, but I'll take what I can get after what we've been through. It's a weird, weird world. I, um, and again, we do want to be careful trying to do the best we can, and your cooperation is greatly appreciated. I do want to offer a disclaimer. I have allergies. I have them every spring, every fall. That is not a confession of my faith. It's an expression of reality. Okay? I'm believing for that to go away, but so far it hasn't. And uh, last week in the middle of the message, which probably will happen this week, I coughed, and we had someone that was new that I'd never seen before sitting at the back and immediately started taking pictures of me coughing. And uh, I, so anyway, you know, um, I'm sure they'll look great on the refrigerator. <laughs> I'm just saying to you, we just need to be careful because the devil will seek opportunity to divide and to bring reproach on the church, so... Glad you're here, and we are continuing our series of Rising from the Rubble. So much emphasis is on Nehemiah and Esther, and little attention is given to Ezra. And uh, this may just be my bias, but I think for most people, it's more exciting to build the walls of the city in commerce and social structure than it is to rebuild the dynamics of worship. But if you look at the biblical order, God rebuilds worship before he rebuilds the city. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins. All that is worship, then I will heal their land. That God's concerned what happens within the walls of the church and in what we've been through that are unprecedented times that I never imagined would ever happen, never thought we would celebrate 50% capacity, but we are now, and so as we move forward, we're going to ask God to help us understand from the book of Ezra what the next steps are, what does biblical worship look like when you build it up out of the rubble, what should worship, stripped of all the other things, what are the priorities that should be part of that? So last week we talked about the decree from Cyrus that began a culture shift that what had happened under Babylon now is under Persia. And under Cyrus, God moves on his heart and he begins to release people to come back in direct fulfillment of prophecy. The renewal of worship depends on the purposes and plans of God. Now, I don't believe there has ever been a sovereign move of God without a seeking people of God. That when we seek his face, he will move sovereignly but it still is in the hands and plans and purposes of God. And I just want you to see how big a deal the book of Ezra is in this first return, chapters 1 to 6, under Zerubbabel. And here's what Isaiah prophesied 150 years before Cyrus was born. Okay, how many are with me? Hold up your hand and you're not unconscious. All right, 150 years before Cyrus was born. Everybody say 150 years. 150 years. I want you to see what Isaiah said. God says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. You want a specific word from God, a specific prophecy? 150 years before Cyrus was on the scene, God said, I will raise a man named Cyrus 
who will bring you back to your land and allow the temple and its foundations to be laid. Then again, in Isaiah chapter 45, in case you missed it in 44, this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I will take hold of to subdue nations before him, <coughs> excuse me, and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. He's prophesying the rise of the kingdom of Cyrus. I will go before you and I will level the mountains. I'll break down the gates of bronze. I'll cut through the bars of iron. References to um, Babylon. I will give you treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so you may know that I'm the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name for the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen. I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord, and there is none other apart from me. There is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the setting of the, uh, uh, to its setting, men will know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. He's not dependent upon Cyrus acknowledging him, but saying, Cyrus, I will raise you up. What we're witnessing in Ezra chapter 1 is the fulfillment of a prophecy that was given 150 years before captivity and before the rebuilding of the temple. God has a plan, and his word will be performed. It's very, very possible when you look at timelines that Cyrus was ministered to by a man who was taken into captivity before the fall of all the things that happened with Babylon. It could very well be that he was ministered to by a man named Daniel. Do you think it's at all possible that Daniel calculated 70 years? Do you think it might be possible that after 70 years and Daniel sees a man named Cyrus rise to power who has a different spirit, that he might have went to Cyrus and said, did you know your name's in our Bible? <laughs> it could be, we don't know, but I'll tell you what I do know, that anytime God moves, there's an interaction between the sovereign decree of God and the initiative of people who respond to that sovereign decree. Cyrus responds, the people begin to return. Then chapter 2 catalogs those who returned from exile to Jerusalem. And when I first read chapter 2, I have a commitment um, expositorily to go through every chapter. And I read this and I thought, I should have read this before I said I was going to preach through Ezra. In fact, you can be really thankful. I found a video with nice backgrounds and music that reads through Ezra chapter 2. I thought about playing that before the message, thinking that it has to go up from here. <laughs> now, I've titled this message, are you ready? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the power of poor conservatives. You say, well, that's a political message. Not intended to be. But in my preparation of Ezra chapter 2, one of the commentators from years ago referred to these individuals that leave Persia and go back to Jerusalem 
as conservative in their mindset. And I had to read a little further, what does that mean to be conservative? And he said that the difference, this wasn't my writing, this was someone else saying that the distinction between a conservative view of the world and a liberal view of the world is that a conservative view of the world values its foundation and its heritage. It values where it comes from. And a liberal view of the world takes no thought of where it has come from, only where it's going. Now, it doesn't mean a conservative mindset isn't moving forward. It means that it values the past. So let me tell you who I am. I'm a conservative theologian. Let me tell you what that means. When it comes to Scripture, there are two ways to look at Scripture. One is to determine original intent, that before you can understand what the Scripture is saying, you have to understand what God was saying through them in the time that it was given, that you can't understand it today without understanding its context and what it originally meant. So then, I believe there are a lot of things that are true today that were true in Jesus' time, that were true in Moses' time. But when you explore liberal theology that throws out our moral values and has created an entirely new moral code for Christianity today, those are being driven by liberal theologians who see no value in what it meant. They only see value in what it means today. How many are getting what I'm saying? It's an important distinction to grab hold of politically. Uh, and I, I'm ready to debate you when this is done. Keep those cards and letters coming. I, I, love, uh, I love to be corrected. It's just so fun. <laughs> but at the core of conservative and liberal politics is this principle. It's not the only principle. It's one of the principles. There's a conservative group of thinkers when it comes to the Constitution who believe that what the founding fathers meant should be honored in the contemporary context. It's called original intent. And liberal interpreters of the Constitution see it as a living document to be understood completely in the context of the present without any moorings to the past, interpreted based on what's happening in the culture today. So that affects politics, it affects the church, and it affects, and we'll see this a little bit a little later in the chapter. The reason, listen, the reason these people were willing to move is they valued where they had come from. They valued what their heritage was, and they valued what God had said he was going to do. And so this political commentator, or not political, biblical commentator, called them conservatives. And we'll see a little bit later in the chapter that they were also poor. They weren't rich. So here's where I'm going to end up. Is right if I tell you where we're going to end up? Maybe this will give you hope. How many are lost and have no idea what I'm talking about? God, I'm going to be careful here. I believe in innovation. I believe in being relevant to the times. But I believe the only safety in being relevant to the times is to not disconnect from our anchor. And God today, to restore worship, is not looking for innovators or influencers. He's looking for committed followers. He has all the innovation we need. Come on, help me now, somebody. He has all the influence we need. Now, will he innovate? Will he show us new ways? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
absolutely. But he doesn't need your creativity, he needs your commitment. He doesn't need your wealth, he needs you to be generous and invest for your sake. And that worship, when it is renewed in the people of God, has as much to do with who comes to worship as it does the God who rains down worship. The power of poor conservatives. Let's see what that looks like in Ezra chapter 2. Number one becomes really clear in Ezra chapter 2 that your ministry matters to God. Now, I'm going to skip over the catalog of names um, at the beginning because we'll come back to it and simply say that this catalog of names is very, very important. How many of you know that God's a God of details? There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground that he doesn't know. There's not a hair that falls from your head that hasn't been counted. Some of you, that requires a little extra effort than others. There isn't a detail that he misses. There's never a time that God said, oh, I didn't know you were coming. I didn't know you'd be here. I didn't know you'd respond. You are not part of a great company without a name or identity. You are part of a great company in which he knows you by name. Now, I've met some great political people in, uh, over the years. In fact, I could name a few that I've had lunch with, that I've that I shook their hand, that I dialogued with, and I can promise you, I can promise you that if I saw them on the street today, they would have no idea who I am. I was a vote. I was a vote, someone to be recruited that they've long forgotten about. But I'm not worried about being known by name by someone running for political office because I'm known by name by the sovereign of the universe. Their names were kept. They mattered. They were important. You are important. You matter to God. He knows you by name. It doesn't matter who else knows. Don't let anyone lie to you. Quit looking at yourself in the mirror and say that you don't matter because you do matter to God. And this catalog of names is one indication of the kind of detail that God keeps in the heavenly records. But one of the things we have to ask about when we look at the middle part of this chapter After identifying some people by name, people of Israel, look at what it says. It identifies the priests, it identifies the Levites, it identifies the musicians, it identifies the gatekeepers, it identifies the temple servants, it identifies the servants of Solomon by their ministry context. Now, you are more than what you do You are more than your ministry calling. Don't ever think that you will earn God's favor by what you do, but do not ever forget what you do does matter to God. There's a calling that comes on your life, and he says if we are going to restore worship, then there's certain kinds of people and there's certain giftings that we have to have for that to be able to happen. Within the national calling, there was an individual calling. Each family has a mission and a calling here in Ezra chapter 2. Now, there's an end time significance to the tribes of Israel. Why they have to keep track, and that's an important detail. But with that, their ministries are also counted. 
All right, I'm going to quit preaching and talk to us for a while. When you look at, the, I just forget the notes. I'm just going to come talk to you. Have you ever asked God, not only what is your ministry calling, but what is God's calling on your family? See, I believe parents, you have more responsibility than simply making sure your students get A's and get a scholarship to a, a Division I school. <laughs> because I'm also not going to make it. Hello, are you okay this morning? Is that right? They're put in your hand for you to shape their ministry calling, to help give direction to that. And when your family shows up somewhere, what is it? And maybe that's a good place for us to start for every head of household to say, what is God's ministry calling on our family and begin to lead in that in a way that will serve? Now, there was a period of time from second grade to about fifth grade that we were in church together. And when we were in church together as a family, five kids, two adults, um, we had a ministry calling. And I don't know that my parents would have acknowledged it like that, but my dad was not a communicator to anybody at any time. When he spoke more than two sentences in a row, it usually meant he was really ticked off. And then he could flow in the language gifts. <laughs> How many are hearing me? He wasn't the guy that was going to teach a class. But you know what my dad was? He believed in work. Do you know what I learned growing up in church? That if you're going to invest in church, you needed to be a worker. We'd go over and mow grass. We went over and build a baptistry. We went over and stripped flooring tile. We invested in the church. And if you said, what gift does the Pilcher family bring at that time to the kingdom? We'd have been temple servants. If there was something that needed to be done, we cleaned out um, a, a, a rubbish or, or, or overgrown um, vegetation around the property. I'm saying to you that that's what my daddy inadvertently let in. What if it were purposeful? Is anybody hearing me? What's our family calling? What are we going to invest in? Because here it matters. What are you sowing ministry-wise into your family? Priests, Levites, musicians, and servants. <clears throat> there cannot be a restoration of worship without the right team. In practical terms here, do you know if we're going to have worship in this culture? <laughs> Let me just, can I just meddle for a little bit here just to make sure that we're getting this? On Sunday nights for a while during prayer meeting, I led worship with iWorship. How many know what iWorship is? You play a video and it's glorified karaoke for worship. You play it, you have sound, everybody sings. You can't, really, you can't really back it up and start over. And it was good. We had fun, enjoyed it. But there's something different about live worship. And how many of you would have to think about coming back again? Be honest. You'd have to think about whether you're going to come back again if every Sunday morning up here we were doing eye worship. Oh, come on. I know you'd think twice about it. Right? So if we're going to have worship, you know what you have to have? You have to have people who are gifted musically. I can lead worship, and it will diminish the size of the attendance. 
I can't play anything other than the radio. I can't play a trumpet, but it's been a while. So if we're going to have a dynamic worship experience, we need a gifted guitar player, brother. <laughs> Tell you what, that guy, you just, you shred that thing. I just stand back in awe and watch that happen. Um, and, and, a, and a gifted drummer. Where'd you go? Where's our drummer go? There you are, brother. I, you just like, you're one with all that that's happening in there. I've tried a couple times to make sound come out of there like that. And it sounds like a car accident. <laughs> and are you kidding me? There's no way to explain Pastor Nathan's gift on the keyboard except it's from God. Have you looked at his fingers? He will tell you it's supernatural. Where's Pastor Nathan? It's like, how does that happen? How do you make that happen? Um, and vocalists that God has gifted us with, what makes worship in the musical compartment powerful are people who have found their gifting and bring it to church rather than merchandising it in the world. And I am sick and tired of hearing stories of, select, of secular celebrities who began their ministry in church and went on to prostitute it on the world's platform. This is the highest calling for your giftings is to lead people in the throne room of God. Is there anyone in the house today? And uh, Ron's walking out the door because he knew he was next, more than a janitor. <laughs> but I have people who come in here and talk about how clean the place is. You know why? Because he knows what his gifting is. He's a, got a servant and a servant's heart. Is anyone hearing me right now? That if we're going to restore worship, then you have to know what your calling is. And you cannot say, well... I want to be important like Pastor Nathan. I don't want to serve behind the scenes like, uh, like the custodial team, like Ron Blair, when in reality in this list, the musicians and the servants are listed in the same catalog because all of them are needed for the kingdom. So what is your gifting? Your ministry matters. I don't care if it's picking up paper or it's playing the keyboard or it's preaching on the platform. God doesn't see those in a hierarchy. He sees them in a gifting that's necessary for the body of Christ to experience the fullness of worship. And right now I declare to you in the name of Jesus, that your, that your calling is anointed by him and don't despise what he's given you to do. Do it to the glory of God and watch worship be restored in the house of God because we do what we do not for the praise of men but for the glory of God himself and with that I can celebrate. Amen. Your ministry matters. Your ministry matters. There's a catalog here of ministry giftings. What ministry do you bring to the body? Well, I don't have anything to offer. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> Coward. Uninitiated. Unaware. Lukewarm. <laughs> Sorry, but you have one. Otherwise, God wasted time letting you be born. And, <laughs> and this, you're just looking at me. This is what happens when you look at me like this. 
What I'm saying is, you are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are not a waste of time. He put something in you that the rebuilding of worship needs, and we need you to bring it. Your ministry matters. Second, your identity matters. That differs from your ministry. You are not what you do. You are not valued because of what you do. God knows you by name and loves you for who you are. And listen to this. His approval does not rest on your performance. His approval does not rest on your performance. You cannot serve your way into God's favor. However, you well, you know, I, I robbed a bank, but I think if I vacuum the church, it'll balance the scales. You can't serve your way. Your identity is more important than what you do, and they are named by name. <clears throat> but here's the scary part. Are you ready? Are you still with me? Because I don't want you to miss this. We take our relationship with God to, for granted too much. Look at what it says in verse 62 of Ezra chapter 2. The descendants of Hobiah, Hekaz, Barzilla, da 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 da, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. They searched for their family records. Okay, these, they believed, watch this, they believed that they came from the priestly lineage. And they searched for their family records, but they could not find them, and so were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor ordered them not to eat any of the most sacred food until there was a priest ministering with the Urim and Thummim. They knew they'd come from a priestly family, but they couldn't prove it. They were withheld from ministry because they couldn't prove their confession. What does that have to do with us? I am a child of God. But if I am a child of God, a king and a priest, I need to have proof of that. Because anybody can say it. What do you mean proof of that? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Can you show me where the Spirit has led you? Hello? His, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. Can you give me a, a testimony of God speaking to you about your relationship with him? And if any man have not the spirit of God, he's none of his, which means if the spirit of God is in you, you should be able to demonstrate love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You ought to have some documentation that demonstrates that. Here's where God is producing the fruit of the Spirit in me. Here's how he's leading my life. Here's what he's speaking to me and talking to me about. Don't bank on what you think is true, that you're a priest because you think your family was you need some current, present, today documentation that God is alive and working in you. 
So they had to wait for their Urim and Thummim if they were ever going to do that. What was the Urim and Thummim? It was a means, a tool to discern the word and will of God. Had to do with two stones and all that goes with that. I'm not going to take time to explain that. But they would consult the Urim and Thummim to get the will and word of God, which had been lost at this time. But it does say there's only one way to restore your heritage, and that's to get a word from God, a revelation from God. God, speak to me, talk to me, show yourself to me. Here's evidence that he is alive in me because it can't be that I'm a member of the church. It can't be that I'm faithful to tithe. It can't be that I'm memorizing scripture. It has to be something more than a discipline. It has to be revealed in what God is doing spiritually and supernaturally in my life that testifies to that. Is there a word from God today? And here's the tragedy of this story. The Urim and Thummim will never be recovered. You know what it means? Those who thought they're priests will never be granted access. They didn't have to leave the kingdom, but they couldn't serve in the priesthood. So I felt like God dropped something in my heart that I want everyone to hear right now. This is probably, it just kind of startled me. I want you to hear this. Do not take for granted what God is doing in your life today because if you walk away, there's no guarantee you'll ever get it back. Don't take for granted the presence of God you feel today because when you take it for granted, there's no guarantee. Well, I'll come back. I'll, I'll serve God again. I'll give my life to him. I'll be one of those committed Christians again. I'm just taking a break. There may come a day that God will restore worship and you won't be able to get back inside where you once were. Is anyone hearing me right now? The Urim and Thummim never came back to Israel. Don't take your identity for granted. Oh, I want to hear him talk to me every day. Does he talk to you every day? Oh, he does. I'm not always listening, but he does talk to me every day. He walks with me and talks with me and tells me that I'm his own. Cherish that. Cherish those moments. Cherish your identity. Talk to him every day. Uh, be assured of your, because your identity matters. Third, your generosity matters. This was not a wealthy group. Let me show you what I mean by that. Consider the provisions for their journey. When Abraham sent Eliezer to get a bride for Isaac, he sent with Eliezer 10 camels. So he took 10 camels with him. Everybody got that? 10 camels for one traveler. This group who came from Persia, watch this. They had one slave and one donkey for every six people. Not six for one, one for every six. They had one horse for every 60 people. They had one camel for every 100 people. And they had one mule for every 175 people. These were poor people. There weren't a lot of resources. They're not traveling with 10 camels apiece. They're having to share what they have and work together with basic provisions. So what happened when they got there? This is so good. These people who didn't have much, when they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, 
the heads of the families gave free will offerings. <laughs> Generosity has nothing to do with what you have. Now, if I'd been on that long journey that, w- that took weeks and weeks and weeks, took, was on that long journey, and I barely had enough to get by, and I've got to settle in, first place I'm going is the dollar store. I'm going to get, I'm going to get um, a Chemex and a hot water heater and some good coffee. There's some things I need to have to set up shop. How many are hearing me? You just got to town. I'll be there Sunday. I'll invest then, but I'm going to do what I need to do to set up shop. And that's not what they did. They said, we're here and we've got something that we want to give. A couple of times I've been on missions trips to Russia, and uh, one time we're asked to bring tools, and it was a hoot trying to get all of our tools over there and our clothes over there and everything over there and balance it all out and ship some ahead. And you know what we did when we left? We left all of our tools with them. We left $10,000 in cash with them. And then as we're at the, at the airport getting ready to leave, we left our coats with them. I mean, we gave it all. We gave everything. We left any cash that we had, we left with every, everything we had, we left with them. But that wasn't hard because there was more at home. Hello? There's more at home. What if there wasn't more at home? What if I didn't know where I'd get another coat? What if I didn't know where I'd get another tool? What if I didn't know where I'd get any more equipment? What if my job depended on it and some of our guys, their jobs did and they left it anyway knowing what it would cost them when they got back home? Because the spirit of generosity isn't related to the length of your journey or the, or the lack of your provisions. It's something that's in the heart. And they said, we came all this way for what purpose? To see worship restored and the temple rebuilt and we want our name on the line. And the first thing they did when they got to Jerusalem was to give an offering. Are you after our money? No. You can keep your money if you're not headed to heaven. (laughs) Because people who are headed to heaven have a generous spirit. How many are hearing me? You get what I'm saying? The first thing these poor people did, the first thing these poor conservatives did is they gave an offering. Biblical worship embraces generosity. God gave extravagantly, and where your treasure is, the Bible says, there will your heart be also, and the corollary to that is where your heart is, there's where you will invest your treasure. And they poured it into the kingdom to see the kingdom work advance. So I've got another great truth for you. This would be great to have on your refrigerator, on your mirror. I can see a plaque with this. God can't bless misers. He can't. Because you've shut the door of blessing. God blesses generosity. Say amen, somebody, or this is going to go on until noon. We'll just invite second service in. Said God blesses generous hearts. How many of you believe that? He blesses the generous. Then fourth, not only does your generosity matter, but your commitment matters. Oh, I got so blessed this week in this chapter. Do you know what they did when they got there? They settled. 
they settled. We're here for the long haul. They went to their towns. They set up shop. They, <laughs> they didn't look for a motel. They settled. I uh, had a friend who was pastoring a church, starting a church. It was a church plant. And they needed someone to help with worship. And this guy showed up, was a gifted musician and vocalist and played keys. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'm in a church now, but I've been there two years and I've helped them. And now I'm going to come help you for two years. And just know that at the end of two years, I'm going to go on somewhere else because my ministry is blessing a church for two years. You know what I think? I think after two years, he starts to smell like dead fish. That's what I think. Because we don't need the traveling gifted one. We need people who are going to settle down and plant themselves. I'm here for the long haul. <laughs> We're, uh, we untied our camel. We unpacked our bags. I get into conversations with pastors often that talk about where they've been and where they'd like to go and why the church isn't prospering. It's because you've got to unpack your bags where you live and live there a while if you're going to have an influence for the kingdom. The people that just come through for a while and then blast off aren't going to help. What's going to bring, what's going to bring worship? It's when we're committed to each other. You and I may have cross words. Might happen. But if we both decided to live here, we'll work it out. Hello? If this is our house and something goes bad, we had water in the basement the other day. Wanted to call the neighbor and tell him it was their problem. But I can't because I live there. Hello? You ever wanted to walk away from where you live? Come on, anyone? Want to walk away from where you live? It's like, I don't want that today. It's commitment that matters. They settled down. The Bible says they dwelt there. And that word means to take up residence. It even implies getting married and establishing a family. They said, we've left it behind and we're here. Now, you know what's really interesting? is when you do some research backwards that the wealthiest Jews in Persia stayed in Persia. <laughs> this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't be at home in this old world anymore. This isn't home. Are you hearing me? This isn't home. And if you're anchored too tightly here, you'll never settle over there. So worship is renewed by the people who come to worship. Your ministry matters to God. Your identity matters to God. Your generosity matters to God. And your commitment matters to God. And that's how worship will rise from the ruins. The people who say, we're here for the long haul. We're here to give. We're here to serve. We're here to be a part. That the flow of worship isn't praying for an outpouring. It's settling down to lay the foundation for God to do what he's going to do. God is not looking for the rich. 
or the innovator. He's looking for the authentic child of God. Would you stand with me? I don't know about you, but I want to be one of that number. Amen? I want to be one of that number. And I'd just like us to close by saying, God, help me be part of that company that's willing to leave Persia behind and go to Jerusalem and see worship rise from the ruins, see it rise from the rubble. Let that happen in this generation, in our land, in the middle of a pandemic and riots and chaos and social dis. Uh, construction. Let this be a place where there is a sweet savor rising toward heaven, where, re- where, where ethnics, black and white and Latinos, love one another and get along, where people are lifting his name and blessing and everything else goes away. Why? Because we've been in the presence of God and we're going to dwell here and believe him for this to be a place of supernatural presence. It starts with us starts with us because he's already done what he needs to do. Would you just lift your hands as Pastor Nathan leads us. Let's worship God together this morning. I worship with all of my heart I will praise you With all of my strength, I will seek you all of my days. I will follow.
that sees a new wind of revival blow in our land, that sees a new expression of worship rise from the rubble of our nation. Help us pursue you and be the people that you can use to bring a fresh revival to our land. In Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said, amen, amen.